You're listening to the Grow Your Own Food Podcast, a show dedicated to helping you grow fresh fruit, vegetables, and even grains in your own backyard. In every episode, you'll get growing tips, recipe inspiration, and more. Ready to get growing? Then let's jump in. Hey everybody, it's a new year and I am back with a whole new season of Grow Your Own Food. I'm your host, Shauna Smith, and in today's episode, I'm going to be wrapping up what it was like to grow my own food and only cook with the food I could grow at home for all of 2019. So because I started this podcast in the middle of the year last year, I didn't have a chance to talk about this a whole lot. I did talk about it a lot on my blog and I posted with like a wrap up every month on my blog, but this is the first time I've really talked about it here and I get to tell you guys all about what it was like, what I learned, and what I'm going to be doing differently as a result in the future. So buckle up. That's coming at you, but first, a word from our sponsor. So to give you guys a little bit of background, I'm going to tell you a little bit about this challenge. This is a challenge that I took upon myself to only cook with food that I could grow myself in all of 2019. I started, why did I start it? Gosh, I really just started because I kind of wanted to take growing my own food to the next level, and I really wanted to challenge myself In summer of 2018, my husband and I, we were in the grocery store and we had put a bunch of stuff on the checkout belt, but like there was hardly anything on there. And it was because we were growing a lot of our own food at home. And my husband was like, I wonder how close we could get to not buying any produce at the grocery store. And that idea sat with me and sank in for a little while. And by the end of the year, I had decided, you know what, we're going to try to do exactly that. And thank goodness my husband is a good sport and he decided to go on this adventure with me. Um, He'll eat pretty much whatever I put in front of him. So it wasn't really going to be a challenge for him. It was more going to be a challenge for me because I love to cook. So being limited to only the things I could grow seemed like, a big challenge for me. I did give us, or I guess I should say, I did give myself some exceptions. So I gave myself the exception of citrus fruits. I was allowed to buy citrus fruits because we can't really grow those in in my climate here in Northeast Kansas. I'm working on growing some citrus trees. You do have to kind of overwinter them inside. I have a a lemon tree that I started from a seed from a lemon at the grocery store. I don't even think it was an organic lemon, actually. And it's going on three years now. And I'm hopeful that this year, I said this last year, but I'm hopeful that it will start producing fruit in the coming year. So I allowed us citrus fruit. I allowed us tree nuts because while you can grow peanuts, and I have grown peanuts in the past, what we tend to eat more of are tree nuts and that's pecans, almonds, walnuts, and I mean that that takes five to ten years of growing. It had to be something that I could grow, you know, in a regular growing season. 
I also allowed us bananas. My husband, without fail, eats a banana every single morning. And again, bananas aren't something that can be grown in our climate. And so I didn't want to take that away from him. This was more of a challenge for me and and not him. So I didn't want him to have to suffer as a result of my decision to to put us on this crazy challenge. Um, And then I also decided that grains were perfectly okay. So wheat flour, rice, anything that basically I would have to grow on a really, really large scale in order to create enough for us to eat. I just don't have the space for. I only have only I have a pretty big garden by most standards it's eight four foot by eight foot beds but that's 256 square feet so that we don't have any acreage by any means and so I don't have the space to grow things like wheat to try and you know make my own flour or or rice of any substantial amount so grains I decided you know were something that we could continue to buy but everything else every kind of vegetable every kind of fruit would be would have to be grown at home and so anything I cooked with had to come out of my garden I couldn't buy it organic at the grocery store I didn't even allow myself to buy produce locally from like the farmer's market I truly wanted to just see if we could subsist on fruits and vegetables in things we cooked at home that we had grown ourselves and we did it the end of the year was you know just a few weeks ago and honestly it was a really weird sometimes frustrating often enlightening little adventure and it's completely changed the way I cook and plan meals the way I look at a grocery store the way I consume a lot of things these days anymore not just food so I'm going to wrap it up Q&A style here even though I'm going to be queuing and aing myself. That sounds really weird to say, but you know what? I'm going to leave it in there <laughs> just for entertainment value. So without further ado, these are the results of what I like to call Grow Your Own Food 2019. And I'm going to start in the kitchen space because a lot of what I learned manifested itself there. So I'm going to start with what I learned in the kitchen and it's it's a few different things. Um, one, that dried beans take approximately forever in a day to cook to the point of softness that we're used to experiencing from a can, even after soaking them for 24 hours, sometimes more than 24 hours. You still have to cook them for 45 minutes to an hour. And when you and your spouse both have a full-time job, beans taking that long to cook is really frustrating. I ended up with some very chewy chili. It was not my husband's favorite, but my mom got me an instant pot for Christmas. So the process is about to get much faster. Hopefully I can cook beans in less than an hour and without having to soak them for 24 hours beforehand because sometimes I forget and that messes up my, my meal planning. Also, I learned when it comes to processing tomatoes, I prefer a food mill to a tomato press. I started out with a tomato press and a food mill is just faster. And honestly, you can use it for multiple things like ricing potatoes to make mashed potatoes, cauliflower, ricing cauliflower, or milling apples to create applesauce. A tomato press just does tomatoes. So if you're kind of scaling up your production of tomatoes and for the purpose of making your own tomato soup or your own tomato sauce, pasta sauce, 
I would say invest in a food mill over a tomato press. A food mill is probably going to be a little bit more expensive than a tomato press, but from my personal experience, I would say it's worth it. Any recipes I'm really proud of? Yes, I finally got a good bread and butter pickle recipe that I like, and I'm going to be posting that this summer when it's cucumber season. And after about four attempts, I finally nailed that burst cherry tomato sauce recipe that I told you about in, I think, the last episode of 2019. And I've also perfected my eggplant parmesan recipe, at least according to how I like it. That's not the traditional eggplant parmigiana. It's eggplant parmesan, kind of like the American cousin of eggplant parmigiana because we fry everything. Um, This is where you dredge eggplant slices in egg and flour and then egg again and then crispy breadcrumbs and you fry it. It's delicious. It's not probably as healthy as eggplant parmigiana, but it's really tasty. I'm also pretty proud of my grilled summer vegetable sandwich. I might turn those into paninis in the future because they're a little bit huge. I put them on Italian baguettes and they're kind of enormous. All of those recipes that I mentioned, with the exception of the bread and butter pickle recipe, are available on my blog, by the way, if you are curious. I do have some recipes that were total duds and my coworkers probably wouldn't believe it because anything I bring into the office tends to be baked and full of sugar and butter and really delicious. But my dinner recipes that I make up myself, a lot of times they don't pan out, or at least they don't on the first try. They they usually take, as any recipe does, you know, that's made just from whatever you have in your kitchen or whatever you have in your head, takes a few tries to get it right, you know, when it comes to salt or spices or amounts. I made a cold peanut noodle and cucumber bowl that was a horrible, clumpy, stodgy mess the first time around. And the second time around, it was photo worthy. But the recipe still was not something that I that I wanted to share on the blog, so I didn't. As far as whether or not I grew too much of anything that I could use in the kitchen, yes, I grew way too much Swiss chard. Swiss chard is one of those plants that it produces enormous leaves. It's a leafy green, Um, so huge leaves. They are one of those plants that you can cut and come again, and it'll continue to grow, and it does not bolt, um, you know, so it doesn't get really tall and flower like spinach does. I mean, it is a trooper in both cold and hot weather. And so I ended up with just an absolute ton of Swiss chard. I think I planted five Swiss chard plants for just my husband and I. And I'm telling you that that was too much. I probably have about 10 bags of Swiss chard vacuum sealed in the freezer. Also, celery. I grew way too much of it. It was my first time growing it in 2019, and I didn't realize how enormous celery plants get. Because by the time we buy them at the grocery store, they're all, you know, cut down. And I have so much in the freezer that I don't need to grow it next year, which is good because celery is definitely a space hog in the garden, and it needs all season to mature. So you're kind of stuck with celery in that spot all growing season. When it comes to what I learned in the garden from growing my own food for the year, I I have learned that I am officially declaring war on squash bugs. I'm researching organic spray recipes to kill them. Things, you know, sprays that you can make at home that have things like garlic and um, vinegar and chili pepper in them. Apparently those, those things are supposedly 
going to kill squash bugs, but we will see if that works. I definitely plan on sharing the recipe that I come up with for organic pest control of squash bugs on my blog. And then I also am going to be testing out some squash vine borer traps that I have read about. I ended up with only one viable pumpkin this past season and one viable spaghetti squash after everything was said and done and some yellow summer squash. I did not get any zucchini. I did not get any butternut squash. I mean, they they just destroyed so much. You know, I thought about not growing any squash this coming year, but I'm not going to let them beat me. I am going to somehow get the upper hand, even if it takes several different tactics to do it. I also learned that raccoons really like sweet corn, but they will leave less sweet corn alone. It's funny, I have grown sweet corn several times now, and the first few times I grew it, I grew a less sweet variety. It's called Bantam, B-A-N as in Nancy, T as in Tom, A-M as in Mary. And this past year, I switched to a much sweeter corn. It was so sweet that when it started to sprout the corn silks, I mean, you could smell it on the air. It smelled delicious, and I'm pretty sure that's what reeled in the raccoons. So I decided that I'm going to go back to my old, less sweet variety of corn and um, just kind of doctor it up with whatever I need to in the kitchen to make it sweeter if I want to make it sweeter. Because the only other option is for me to kind of rig up electric fencing around my garden. And I, we already spent a ton of resources and time building up a, a really nice fenced-in garden. And I just don't want to go through the trouble of electric fencing as well. They also, raccoons also like cantaloupe. So I learned that those need to come in as soon as they're fragrant. A lot of advice will tell you to just wait until they have naturally dropped off the vine. And I've noticed that one, by the time they drop off the vine themselves, they're actually maybe a little over ripe and they start to get this weird floral taste rather than tasting, you know, fruity like melon. But also by the time to the, they get to that point, they're so fragrant that they attract pests like raccoons and the raccoons will kind of run off with them or run a short distance in my case and then just, you know, pull all the guts out of them and, and eat your cantaloupe there in your garden. As far as any big snags in my plans, yes. I failed miserably when it came to fall succession planting. So we had no broccoli, cauliflower, cabbage, or sprouts um, this fall like I had planned. But it taught me a big lesson for next year's succession planting. Also, the onions did not do well. Um, I covered this in a previous episode a few episodes ago about the top things that I learned in the garden. But um, So I'm not going to moan about it too much here. But I'm definitely going to have to change up how I sow and grow my onions to try and increase my harvest for 2020. As far as any big successes in the garden, I would have to say garlic. Uh, This was the first year, or 2019 was the first year that I invested in seed garlic. And holy cow, you guys, it's the biggest garlic I have ever grown. I still have dozens of bulbs braided and hung up waiting down in my basement. That's after giving some away, cooking with it since I harvested it in July, 
and clipping off and using a bunch of it for seed garlic for 2020. So I would say investing in seed garlic, definitely worth it. In general, I want to talk about kind of the things that happened or the things I learned. So I asked myself, what food did you miss most during Grow Your Own Food 2019? And I would have to say broccoli. And that might seem weird (laughs) to some people. Probably, you know, I, I get it. Broccoli isn't everybody's favorite, but I love broccoli. It's my favorite vegetable. And while I've always been able to grow it in the spring, I don't have space to grow a lot of it because broccoli plants are very, very large and they take up a lot of space. And so my plan was to grow it in the spring and then grow more of it in the fall. But like I said, my fall succession planning was a big dud. Um, So we only had it in the spring and there wasn't enough, you know, there wasn't a whole bunch extra. So I don't have, you know, hordes of it in the freezer. I kind of had to do without after the season for broccoli was over in about, you know, June, which was not fun for me because I love it. Um, As far as what the hardest things were about growing our own food and only cooking with food that we had grown ourselves. I think I think the hardest thing was getting over the modern day notion that we can and should be able to get or have or eat anything that we want any time of year. If you look at the history of them, grocery stores didn't really become a big thing until like the 1930s and the 1940s. But since then, we've all kind of treated the world's food supply as like an international buffet. And When you've spent your whole life thinking that way, it's hard to deprogram yourself. You know, I grew up helping my mom go grocery shopping on the weekends as a child. And to me, that's just, that's where you got your food. Even when I started vegetable gardening and and kind of knew what the process looked like and everything like that, it was still really hard to just like, oh, this recipe calls for this thing. Oh, well actually that's not in season right now so I can't make this recipe. I mean it's just like not something that I'm I'm used to dealing with. After that I would say the next hardest thing was being creative with vegetables that I had that I wish I didn't. So the things that I grew way too much of like the Swiss chard and the yellow squash they grow in abundance and you end up freezing a whole bunch of it for later but there's only so much of it that you can eat before you start to really get sick of it. I ended up getting pretty creative, I feel like anyway. I ended up hiding summer squash in quiches and in stuffings. I ended up putting Swiss chard also in quiche, but then putting it in some soups. So that's something that I that I struggled with and will probably continue to struggle with until I get rid of all the Swiss chard that's that's in my freezer. As far as what was the easiest thing about Grow Your Own Food 2019, I, I think processing all the vegetables as they came in. It's a really time-consuming thing to process all those vegetables when you're growing at that scale to feed yourself, to feed you know your family. But I enjoyed it. It was kind of meditative, and you get a really good feeling from it. You're, you're providing for yourself on a very primal level level. Um, And even though we spent most of the season without a real kitchen, because we were renovating our our actual kitchen, um, and I had had to do it all in kind of a a makeshift kitchen that I set up in our unfinished basement, I I really kind of enjoyed it. Um, Let's see, did I cheat? I'm going to tell you, 
I cheated once. Um, and it makes me so, I'm so mad at myself because it was toward the end of the year. Um, it was in December, actually. I only had a few weeks left to go. But my husband and I had both just come back from a business trip. We were on the downhill slide to, you know, the holiday break. And I was just really exhausted. And I really wanted chicken pot pie. And I had leftover shredded uh, rotisserie chicken in the freezer and pie crust and some potatoes that I had grown myself. But I didn't have any frozen peas or carrots or corn or green beans, things that are also traditionally in a chicken pot pie. And so I broke down and I went and I bought a single bag of frozen mixed vegetables. But that is the only produce that I swore off that I ended up buying for a whole year. So I'm going to put it out there. I'm going to be honest about it, but I'm going to let myself be okay with it. (laughs) So I hope you're okay with it too. Did we save money growing our own food? The answer is yes, we did. But I want to be sure to qualify this because we spent a lot of money building our raised bed garden You end up spending a lot of money on seeds as a startup cost. You know, you don't use all of your seeds in a seed packet, generally. I mean, for some things you might. But most of us home gardeners plant what you need and then you have seed, you know, for that fruit or vegetable for for multiple years after that. The seed stays viable. But there is a cost involved in, in buying seeds when you first start out. So that's not all factored in, you know, when I say, yes, we saved money. When I say, yes, we saved money, we saved money on our grocery bill. I tracked that, I want to say, for the first six months. And we saved, I would say, an average of about $30 to $40 a month. So about $120 a quarter, that would be $480 for the whole year, if I extrapolate that out. So we saved close to $500 in groceries only cooking at home what we could grow from our own garden. I know that $500 would cover, you know, the money that I spend on seeds for sure, or starter plants for sure. It absolutely would, but it would not cover the cost anywhere near what we put into the raised beds. Honestly, we would have to do the whole grow your own food thing for another four years, I think, before it got to that point. So I'm just going to put that out there. The overhead cost of your garden setup is going to determine whether or not growing your own food actually saves you money. When I think about whether this exercise will permanently change my shopping habits, I I think it will, but I would say not 100%. I'm going to open myself up to things that include produce that's locally grown, not just grown by me. We have a CSA that we buy meat from, and I'm planning to support them even more by ordering shares of seasonal veggies, especially in the wintertime. It'll help make sure we're still eating what's in season and and keeps petroleum use to a minimum because that CSA is local. But, you know, for the most part, I really do plan to only eat things that are in season. and, And if I do eat anything out of season, if I purchase anything out of season to cook us dinners... You know, I plan to make that a rare luxury and only for special occasions. So like a special meal to celebrate our wedding anniversary or a birthday. But other than that, I'm, I'm really happy that growing our own food for a whole year and only cooking with food that we had grown 
has really taught us to eat with the seasons and appreciate, you know, what's what's locally available. So that is it for that crazy little adventure that you're just now learning about that we were on for a whole year. I would do it again, honestly. I need a little bit of a break from it just because it it is a lot. It's very intensive, requires a lot of work. And when you work full-time, your husband works full-time, gardening on that scale is, is a lot of work and you need to be tending to it in some capacity every day. So I would say I need to take a break from it, but it's honestly something that I I might do again at some point, especially if I end up with an even bigger garden someday. I would encourage you to try it if you find yourself at the grocery store not really buying a whole lot of produce and you have the space for enough food to provide for your family, especially if you have a small family, I would I would absolutely encourage you to try it because you learn so much and you gain so much in terms of your sense of self-sufficiency and just pride in your work and just what you learn about about the environment and your plants. You just pay extra special close attention and, and it teaches you a lot. So that is it. I'm excited for the next few episodes because we're going to start talking about seed starting. It is almost seed starting season for certain plants plants and and I'm excited to dive into that for listeners that are total beginners and even if you're not a total beginner um, you might get some helpful tips as well so thank you for listening in thanks for coming back I hope that you had a wonderful holiday celebration and I will see you guys in the next episode thanks for listening to the grow your own food podcast visit bandbasil.com for helpful how-to articles images and recipes